have a special time of prayer right now, and we are going to pray together as a church family. Randy's one of the elders, and he's going to pray for Liz, and hopefully you've all been able to meet Liz. She's been on staff here for several years now, and she has been serving as part-time worship leader, and now she's stepping into a role full-time worship director here at Grace. We are so grateful for Liz. She does a phenomenal job with a sincere heart of praising Jesus and then also building up the team as well. And then really all of us worshiping God together. And uh, we're so grateful for her gifts, her passion for the Lord. Yep. So in the Bible, when someone's stepping into a new role, there's a chance to pray. And uh, yep, Randy, we got a mic right here for you. Super, <laughs> great. And, uh, and so what we want to do is uh, pray for Liz right now. And in this time of prayer, you can extend your hands in prayer so we're united together. You can lift your hands up to heaven. You can extend towards us. We're going to just lay our hands on Liz and pray and uh, dedicate uh, her role and her to the Lord in this new season. So Randy, great. If you can pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day, for such a day as this, for lifting up our dear sister yes. uh, Liz to, to lead and guide and be the director of our worship and arts team. Lord, wow, what a beautiful, wonderful opportunity this is. Lord, we just ask that you bless her talents, that she would lead with humility and with excellence and continue to grow as a leader in, in the faith, Lord. And uh, Lord, we just pray for discernment, for courage, and for love as she develops the team, Lord, as she, as she coaches and mentors and, and, and helps people develop their talents and be the very best that they can be, Lord, and bring in praise to your name. Yes. And Lord, we just lift up the worship to an arts team in aggregate, in whole, and the technical and audio and video team, Lord, as this whole team comes together, that your name is exalted inside our church, outside our church, in our community. Lord, may your praise be heard through our worship team around the world. And Lord, we just give all praise to you and thank you for this beautiful day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Amen. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. 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 We're so grateful for you. We're so grateful for you. Anything else you want to say? I'm just super thankful for this church family. I'm thankful to God for his faithfulness. Um, I'm thankful for our staff, our pastors, elders and for my amazing worship team can we just yeah, give it up for everybody it. i mean it's a blessing it truly is a blessing i feel a little guilty at times having this much fun at work but it's okay it's okay i'm giving myself grace on that. Great. <laughs> praise god thank you all please keep praying for me i just want to make sure that everything that happens is in the will of god so may his name always be glorified in this room amen 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 <laughs> wonderful thank you liz thank you Our theme for this series is empowered, and that's what God's doing in all of our lives, not just Liz, not just Randy, but in all, for all of us together. When you think about this theme empowered, we don't just want to study it, we want to live it. And maybe you're just jumping in for the fall and you're thinking, well, what's going on here? What does empowered look like? We're celebrating today because there's 210 children in Cambodia that have chosen us, that we get to walk together in life and write letters and connection now that's going to be 
there's no limits to what God can do this decade. Grace Community Church in Cambodia, a community here, a community there, now walking together. And uh, we love what's happening there. Also, uh, life groups right now in terms of being empowered, not just young adults, but so many people are saying, yes, I want to get in community. I want to be empowered in God's word. And step into that. You won't regret that decision of being in a life group and in community in God's word together. Uh, when you think about the Sounders game, been getting texts from people. We've got a whole section. We're going together. People have been um, saying, hey, I'm inviting this person. They don't know the Lord. I'm inviting this person. And, you know, why do we have events like that? So we can bring along friends. They can be experience the community. And that through events like that, they can hear about Jesus and start to think about Jesus more as well. And then revivinghope.com. We set up that landing page. And so many of you this week have jumped in. Their videos that cultivate hope, cultivate habits, habits in your walk with God. So as you watch those videos, you start to step into those biblical habits and start to live that out, and hope grows. And all of these different things we're doing, they're not random and spread out. They're all about empowering us to live for Jesus and that what God has called us to do, let's do it together. And if your name's on it, say yes to God. And your name's not on everything. There's no guilt if you're not doing this one or that one. But in everything, we're walking with God together. Together. And God is empowering us. We're in this series that we're starting today. Second Timothy is the book. And you can go through. It's a short book, four chapters. Read it this week. Dive into God's word. Start to pick out some favorite verses. One verse in this book that jumps out is that God does not give us a spirit of timidity. That's not from God. Timidity is not from God. But he gives us a spirit of love and power, a sound mind. That's the message uh, that we receive in God's word that he's speaking to us. Hold on to God's word. Memorize God's word. And what's going to happen is that the flame is going to grow. We're going to talk about the flame today because it's an important part of God empowering us. The flame. And the scripture says, fan the flame into fullness. We're going to talk about the flame today, empowered by God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your goodness. God, thank you that it's your power in our weakness. Thank you that it's your help. It's not self-help. God, we can't do it. We just can't do it in our own strength. And we know it won't be by by strength. It won't be by might, but it'll be by your spirit. God, we trust the Holy Spirit. We thank you, God, for your leadership, your comfort, and your empowerment in our lives. Thank you for your presence. Give us a fresh vision of what you want to do through us together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. There is one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the Trinity is fully committed to empowering you to live the Christian life. A full commitment when it comes to empowering. That is God's plan. That's for God's glory. And it's also for your good. When you look through the Bible, you'll be amazed at how God empowers ordinary people. And starting with Abraham and Sarah, they had a child. When Abraham was about 100, Sarah's about 90. And God was demonstrating that this new nation he's building up to bless the nations is going to be through his power. It's not going to be Abraham and Sarah that just put this together. And when you start to write people off like Moses who murdered someone, God actually empowers Moses because of his grace to deliver a country that's in slavery in Egypt and God empowers him to empower the people to walk by faith and God is going to miraculously set them free from slavery and then lead them through the wilderness into the promised land. God 
It's treasures and jars of clay. Jesus chose not the religious leaders. He chose everyday people. He chose fishermen. And he said, I'm going to entrust this ministry into them because I'm going to go and I'm going to ascend and sit at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit's going to come. But it's going to be everyday people who fulfill the kingdom. And you say, well, fishermen, they didn't have those eloquent uh, prayers. They didn't like wax eloquent in theology. Like they knew how to catch fish. Like that's who Jesus chose. That's exactly who Jesus chose because he he still chooses everyday people and anyone who's willing to listen to him, hear him say, follow me, you'll be fishers of men and women, and I'm in, and I'll go. And it doesn't matter about this impressive resume or what school you've been to. It doesn't matter about that stuff. It's your heart with Jesus, and he's calling everyday people to follow him. And when the church looked kind of defeated and discouraged at Pentecost, and they thought their Savior has been killed, and he was buried, but there was a resurrection. They hadn't realized the fullness and reality of the resurrection. The Holy Spirit came in the church. And the Holy Spirit, when you put your trust in Jesus, indwelling in you, and when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's still moving today through people from every nation and generation, man, woman, man, woman, child. Uh, you see that anyone who says yes to Jesus Anyone who's saying yes to the Father, yes to the Holy Spirit, is going to be empowered because Jesus, as he ascended, he was declaring, you'll receive power when you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and power come together. And when you get close to God, you choose his priorities, his passion, his purpose, and his plan. And when you get close to God, you have alignment with his priorities, his passion, his purpose, and his plan. You say, well, what is this alignment? What is this plan in this calling? I'll say it this way. You're a doer and you're a developer, both. You're a doer because God has called you to do things and you're a developer because God has called you to develop the people around you. See, God primarily empowers us and then he calls us to empower each other. Well, what does that look like? You're a doer and developer. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a doer and a developer. And then turn to the other person and say the same. You're a doer and a developer. Let that sink in. When you embrace that truth and that calling in your life, there is legacy, there is intentionality, there is depth, and there is multiplication. Paul lived this. There was a multiplication through people like Silas, Titus, Timothy. This letter right here, 2 Timothy, Paul is pouring his heart He's empowering, he's encouraging Timothy. And this is a letter at the end of Paul's life. So how does he start this letter? What is this message about the flame? He says, fan into flame, a fullness of flame, a consistent on fire for God. Live with that and don't settle for anything less, Timothy, than fanning into flame what God has given to you consistently, Monday through Friday, we live, work, learn, or play, Saturday and Sunday, the fullness of of the flame. So we're going to look today at five key decisions because the flame is either ignited or it's extinguished. And it's linked to our decisions during the week and the things we're believing. We ignite or we extinguish the flame. Let's consider five key decisions with this flame. Second Timothy, starting in chapter one, verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, 
grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the first step in decision is that you need to find someone who you can empower. Find someone you can empower. Paul, Timothy. You see, Paul, Titus. Paul, Silas. Jesus had three, Peter, James, and John. I'm saying find someone. Three is a good number. Who are you gonna empower? Because if you're not empowering anyone, the flame is going to start to extinguish. But when you empower other people, the flame grows. Now, Paul says to Timothy, my dear son, that's my true son. Paul's his mentor. What do mentors do? He celebrates Timothy who he is, his story, his identity in Christ. Paul already time has mentioned God five times. He's talking about in Christ, God, in Christ, God. They have a bond, a spiritual bond. The closest relationships are centered on Jesus and have a deep spiritual bond. And so he's gonna celebrate this. He's gonna reassure Timothy. Well, what does their relationship look like? They went on some missionary journeys together. Paul's been on four that stand out. Timothy was there for the second and third missionary journeys. When you empower someone, it's not just some knowledge you pass on, but it's doing life together. It's serving God together. It's going on journeys together. That's when we grow as as real life experience. So when you empower someone, you invite them in. They're learning from you as you're doing it together. So where did they go? They covered a lot of ground. And then Paul said to Timothy, you're gonna be here in Ephesus and lead the church in Ephesus. Now, the church in Ephesus, because Paul writes many letters to different churches, this is the church he knows the best. And he's placing Timothy, as he's poured into Timothy, now he's placing him with the church and the people he loves in Ephesus. And Timothy has a role. Timothy is stepping up. When you pass the torch to the next generation, you give them a role to step up. You give them real leadership. You give them real authority. You give them an experience where they're gonna be relying on God and using their gifts, and you set them up for success. Now, what do we need to teach the next generation? What do you pass on? Here's what you pass on. How to access God's presence. How to access God's peace. How to access God's power. The next generation needs to know that more than they need to know what clothing is trendy right now, what's the latest app, and what's the greatest technology. They're not just going to necessarily pick up on all that through a Google search. It's someone coming alongside them and having a meal and sharing your story and your life. If you don't pour into the next generation, a nation will go down. If you don't build up the next generation, a nation will will go down. But if you build them up, and if you share and pass on what you have, you're gonna see blessings a hundredfold, and that's why I'm so grateful for all the people who are pouring their lives into Grace Kids in this place, in middle school and high school, and what a high calling, and young adults as well. Why? Because they know the intentionality of God's heart with the next generation, and they don't just wanna hoard what God's given to them, they wanna pass it on. They want to see the next generation thrive. That's a vision right there. You say, well, what's the context for Paul as he writes this? You know, Paul's in prison a lot, not because he's making bad choices, but because he's living for Jesus. And in many cultures today, if you live for Jesus, you will be ostracized, you'll be kicked out of the family, you'll be thrown in prison, you'll be beaten, or you'll be killed. 
So when we read this letter right here, it's not Paul sitting in a comfy chair. Now, he's in prison a lot. So here's a couple of uh, prison experiences for Paul. The first one, uh, one that stands out, is about 62, 63 AD. And he was in prison, and it was house arrest. It was a lot more comfortable. He had a lot more freedom, and he wrote letters like 1 Timothy. He wrote Titus. These are called pastoral epistles. Epistles means letters. He was writing and under house arrest, again, building up the next generation. But when he writes 2 Timothy, this is close to the end of his life, and it's a different imprisonment. Because in about 64 AD, Nero started to bring intense persecution to Christians. He started to blame them for things like fires. And when he's thrown uh, into prison this time, when Paul's experiencing prison, this is a cold cell. He's like a criminal. He's chained. He's hard to find. And he's near the end of his life. History tells us that Paul is going to be killed as a martyr, beheaded by Nero. And when you think about the end of Paul's life, it didn't end with a bunch of applause. It didn't. Your life might not always be filled with applause, but what matters is faithfulness to God. And he was faithful to God until he was beheaded, and he'll continue to follow Jesus no matter the cost. So when he's writing this letter, again, he's going through it. He's lonely, he's in pain, he knows the end of his life is near, the persecution is increasing, and that's the context. Well, what does that tell us? He's been on four missionary journeys, and he won't stop. He can't stop, because the story's not over, his last breath. If it's not your last breath right now, your story's not over. God still has purpose for you. You're sitting here, not in heaven. There's a reason and a purpose, you're still here. You see, Paul was lonely, and the fact is we need each other. What was Paul saying near the end of his life? Please come visit. Come find me. Come visit. Uh, oh, so many have deserted me, but come find me. And bring the letters. Bring the scripture. You know, I want people, and I want the word of God. That was his appetite. And at the same time, he knew the church was limping, starting to battle with timidity and fear because of opposition. Leaders were getting killed. He knew the church needed encouragement. So he writes this down, not just to Timothy, but it'll be expansive. It'll go to Ephesus. It'll go beyond. It comes to us today. So he's building up the church. He's also reaching out for connection. We all need connection. We all need God. We all need each other. So don't play the game that you're self-sufficient or you've got it all done or you're just gonna set up your life and push everyone out, push the Bible out and just take over and call all the shots. That's not how it works. Instead, we're vulnerable, we're transparent, we need each other, and that's what Paul writes with. When someone writes at the end of their life, they're pouring out their heart. And the truth is, you can empower anyone at any time from any location. If Paul doesn't have an excuse here, what's our excuse? You've got people God's brought into your life. If Paul can empower Timothy from a jail cell that's cold and lonely before he's beheaded, if he can be thinking about the next generation in that context, how much more are we empowered to build up younger people, to build up people who don't know Jesus and lead them to the Lord? How empowered are we by God with resources and the Holy Spirit and knowledge about Scripture, the gospel? How empowered are we to make a difference? And so we're humbled and encouraged, inspired by Paul's example. And I'd ask you again, who are you empowering? Because the flame will go out if you're not pouring your life and passing it on. The flame will go out. So who are your three? If you say, Jesus, who are your three? Peter, James, and John. You know, Paul, who are your three? And three's not a legalistic number. 
But if that's how Jesus, that's how he empowered, it's probably good for us sometimes in a busy life that sometimes self-centered in our culture to just stop and say, who are these three people that God's brought into my life? And can I say their names? Is there any intentionality there? And what could I do to empower them? And maybe I'm living too self-centered, too isolated, maybe too full of myself, too focused on myself. Maybe I just haven't realized biblically God's vision and plan for my life. And so I'm distracted, honestly. And I've got to get back to what God's called me to do. Well, that's where it starts. Now, let's continue in verse three. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Now, the second choice is to develop your primary talents. Paul writes, I serve God. How do you serve God? I serve God with thanks. That's important. And also I serve God with a clear conscience. Serving God with thanksgiving and gratitude and a clear conscience, that's how I wanna do life. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Timothy, do not neglect your gift. Well, how do you neglect your gift? You either don't know what your gift is or you don't use it, right? Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Do you know what your talents are that God's given to you? And are you using those talents? Paul says, Timothy, don't neglect your gift. Paul had a gift. It was an apostleship gift. You might think of like an entrepreneur that starts new things. Paul would go to new places, plant new churches, spread the gospel. Uh, Sometimes he would say, oh, that's not for me because that's not my gift. See, when you recognize your gift, you know what your gift isn't. When you know your calling, you know what your calling isn't. And then you can set limits and you can say, this is my lane. I'm going to run it for Jesus. And Paul did that. He was trying to guide Timothy to do that. And we've all been given different gifts and talents. Albert Pujols was in the news uh, this, this weekend because he just hit his 700th home run. Albert Pujols has been consistent, not just on the field, but off the field. He loves the Lord Jesus. There's only four players in the history of baseball that have hit 700 home runs. And I wanna share a quote. If it weren't for Jesus, I would not be where I am today and my life would be without purpose. I've heard kids say that they wanna be just like me when they grow up. They should know that I wanna be just like Jesus. Baseball is simply my platform to elevate Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And that is more important than anything I could ever do in baseball. Do you hear that he has a clear vision? He knows God's given him a gift to knock baseballs out of the park 700 times, right? but he knows that that's just his talent that gives him a platform to lead people to Jesus and the impact he has on the next generation that watches him and the legacy he leads is how he builds them up. See, you have gifts and talents and you don't have to be on a church staff to be able to, I was gonna say knock it out of the park for Jesus, but that sounded like kind of corny. So um, (laughs) you don't have to be on the church staff. In fact, we need people who are in the school system. We need people who are in government. We need people who are cleaning houses. We need people who are parents. We need people to go into all different places and neighborhoods. We don't want everyone to live together in a little holy huddle because God has given gifts to this body that are amazing. So don't neglect your gift. Know what it is and use it. And and 
you know, I, I wrestled sometimes with mine because I wanted to be pro soccer for a lot longer. But, but God redirected and said, pastor and evangelist. And then I thought, well, that's a combination that's kind of unique. And I thought, well, if I'm just a pastor, how about that? And God has always said, no, you're an evangelist. And I said, well, why don't you just go be an evangelist? And then I, I won't be a pastor. And he said, no, you're a pastor. And it's like, okay, I'm a pastor and evangelist. That's what I am. Okay, I'm going to run in that lane then. And I'll tell you, God made you. He knows you. And if, you have, if you're just wondering, what do you do? This is what you do. I'll say it in three steps. First, you listen to God. Listen to God, not just people. Listen to God. And if it's been a while since you've asked him, God, what are my gifts and what's my calling and what's my purpose and where are you placing me? Then ask him and just be still. Say, God, your servant is listening. And I'll tell you, COVID's been a time last two years where a lot of people started to reconnect with God and say, God, where do you really want me? And making different shifts. If he says exactly where you are right now, awesome. If he says shift this little thing, great. If he says big shift, run with that. Trust him on the other side of yes. Watch what God will do, but first listen to God. Because if you don't know that this is what God wants, now you're just trying to run around like, well, this is what I wanted. Well, this is what someone told me to do. It's like, that's not gonna be the flame. The flame is when you know God wants you there because it's gonna get difficult. It's going to get very difficult and you need to know that God's called you to it. And then second, you gotta lean in. To lean in, you gotta eliminate some distractions, right? If God's calling you to change your neighborhood, it's really hard to do just phone, brainless, scroll on social media five hours a day. That's probably not gonna get you to a transformed neighborhood. If God's calling you to lead the family, it's probably not gonna be distracted and there's no prayer at home and not the word at home. Like what has God called you to do? Set some limits on some other things so that you can run and lean in to that calling. And then what's gonna happen after that? You're gonna be leading people to Jesus. I guarantee you're gonna be leading people to Jesus. People who don't know Jesus, people who've wandered from Jesus, people who wanna grow in their faith with Jesus, you're just gonna lead them to Jesus. And so listen to God, lean into the calling. It's gonna take courage, there's gonna be a cost. Lean in, set limits on a bunch of other junk so you can focus on that calling and start leading people to Jesus. And you're gonna empower people spiritually. It's gonna be the ride of your life. It's gonna be exciting, awake, you're gonna be uh, alert, you're gonna be using your gifts. This room is full of talented, talented people. But God doesn't give you those abilities full bloom. He gives you a seed. He gives you a seed. And what do seeds do? They go planted in the ground. You die to yourself. What else? Well, there's watering. It's God who makes it grow, but he doesn't give you the gift in full bloom you develop it, you cultivate it, God stirs it, and you gotta use that gift to fan into the fullness of the flame. I mean, even Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player, when he played a little baseball, his basketball gifts got a little rusty, and he had to like, when you take a break and you say, no, now there's always a season where you need a break, of course, but I'm talking about some of us have gifts on the shelf that shouldn't be on the shelf. Some of us have gifts that have collected dust. Some of us have believed lies that we don't have gifts. Some of us have been told your gift isn't wanted. Those gifts need to come alive in the body of Christ for such a time as this, and there's transformation linked. And I'll add one more comment on the gifting. It's always your character first and your gifting or your competence second. 
And that's the context as Paul writes Timothy. Timothy, this is the standard. This is the character of an elder. This is the character of a leader. This is the character of a pastor. Character first, competency second. There's a lot of people running around. I listened to a young preacher this week who said, I'm kind of scared in my generation because our generation is so gifted in the communicators and the preachers. And he said, but honestly, sometimes I feel like the character isn't as strong as the gifting. And so what he says Uh, What Paul says to Timothy is focus, make your character your foundation, and out of that foundation of character, absolutely use your gifts. It's a both and, but don't neglect one for the other. It's a both and. They come together, but character first, or else it's going to crash. Here's the third uh, decision. Take more love risks. Take more love risks. Paul's talking to Timothy. He's talking about your tears, your tears. Paul, talking to Timothy, I long to see you. Do you see the risk in the language? I long to see you. Talking about tears. Tears are not the measure of love. They're not the measure of spirituality. But sometimes they flow when you really do care. Sometimes they flow when your heart's really in it. And as far as tears, we we read about these passages, Paul and the elders at Ephesus and the tears, the tears as he goes to Macedonia, the tears by many as he's going to be beheaded and the persecutions picking up, the tears with distance from one another. There's tears because there's compassion, there's care and there's connection. And when you think about heart being fully in it and taking love risks, relationships are risks. When you get married, that's a huge risk. Uh, Friendships, that's a risk. Relationships are a risk. And sometimes we get hurt in those contexts, but it's a full heart in it when God's in it. Now, here's three things you don't read about or don't pick up on. What you don't pick up on is be cautious, be isolated, be comfortable. You just don't get that with Jesus. Jesus, you're living so cautious, so isolated, so comfortable. Where is that chapter in the Bible? It's just not. It's not there. Uh, Paul, you're so cautious. You're so comfortable. You're so isolated, Paul. Where is that chapter in the Bible? It, It just isn't there. You know where it is? It's the Bible of American Christianity that says cautious, comfortable, and isolated. But it's not the Bible that we read and trust. It's a false teaching. It's a false teaching. You say, well, then what is it? If it's not cautious, here's what it is more than cautious. It's seen as kind of crazy. Jesus' family thought he was kind of crazy. They thought Paul was a little too into the faith. I would much rather be called crazy for loving Jesus than I would be, oh, you're so cautious about Jesus. Well, what else? If it's not isolated, what is it? It's invested. Jesus is so invested in the 12, the three. Paul is so invested in Timothy. Your life invested in the relationships and the people that God has brought. It's not isolated, it's invested. And you say, if it's not comfortable, what is it? It's not comfortable. It never will be. If you're looking for that, it's a mirage. It's courageous. Courageous is so much better than comfortable. Now, I know I'm I'm meddling here, but, but I've gotta say, you're not really gonna love people the way Jesus does and be comfortable. It's impossible. You're not really gonna have an impact where you live, work, learn, and play and be comfortable. It's impossible. They're mutually exclusive. You're gonna decide which way you wanna go 
in your relationships and your impact. But if you have an idol of being comfortable, that's gonna hold you back. It's gonna extinguish the flame. You know, we're celebrating a baptism this next service. Roberta, she's in her 80s. And uh, her husband was baptized just before he died. And they were married almost 60 years. Roberta was in a car accident. And someone from our church, Maria, saw the car accident with everybody else driving by. Maria went over and came alongside to see how Roberta was doing. And not only did she spend time with her and care for her and pray for her, but then she built a friendship and they started to connect in their neighborhood and get together. And then uh, Maria invited Roberta to church and Roberta started coming to Grace recently and she put her trust in Jesus. Now, Roberta, putting her trust in Jesus, walking together, taking baptism as the next step. Her husband was baptized by someone just before he died. And now this person's gonna also now baptize Roberta as well. And you say, well, what just happened there? There was a love risk. Maria could have driven by that accident, but she took a love risk to stop to care, to build a friendship, a love risk when you invite someone to church, a love risk when you share the gospel with someone. It's a love risk to talk about baptism. It's a love risk to disciple people. But you hear that and we celebrate it and it's wonderful. God empowers anyone who says yes, anyone who's teachable, anyone who's available. God will empower you to change the the lives around you in amazing ways. Just stay faithful to him, trust God with the results, You know, we've been having more training with Seattle Union Gospel Mission, and now they are ministering to homeless people in our city, and they're doing it once a week. And I had a conversation with them this week about Monday nights, and they're wondering, is there anyone in our church that might want to say yes and get involved with caring for homeless people on Monday nights? And what is that? Is that comfortable? No. Is that for everyone? Probably not. But if your name's on it, do you know on Friday nights, five to seven, there's drive-through prayer and thousands of people drive by, people pull in, people have come to know Jesus, people have come to our church, people are connecting our church family. Why? Because there's some people from our church who said, you know what? It isn't about being comfortable. It's about reaching people for Christ. And look where we're located. Let's offer prayer. And they're praying for our community, praying for our community. What I'm telling you is that your calling is going to have a cost. It's not gonna be comfortable. But at the end of the day, you're not going for people's opinions and applause. You're going for faithfulness to Jesus. And that's the goal. If that's not your goal, you might not be interested in this text. But if this is your goal, then there might be some shifts that need to be made and to say yes to the Lord. Uh, Let's look at, Verse five, verse five and verse six, the last two verses we'll look at today. Verse five, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I told you, laying on of hands, it's in the Bible, it's right there. Here's the fourth decision. Get rid of faith distractions and prayer excuses. Paul says a sincere faith, an undivided heart, an unhypocritical faith. That's what Paul describes. In terms of prayer, he says, I'm praying night and day. I don't think he writes that to say, ooh, look how much Paul prays. Oh, I think he's writing it 
because he simply prays night and day for Timothy. I think that's his lifestyle. Uh, You know, Paul can't do everything he used to do because he's chained. But one thing he can do is he can pray. If you've lost some ability, some accessibility, some mobility, if you've lost and you're not as active as you were before, you know what you always can do night and day? Pray. And you know, I don't think there's a better gift than to pray. When someone says, I pray for you every day, I'm so thankful because I don't think I could ask for anything better than that. Uh, Praying for people, it keeps you connected. They're long distance, but it keeps you connected. What I hear in Paul is that in terms of prayer, there's no resistance to reliance. See, some people want to be self-reliant, and so they don't pray. But when you don't have resistance to God's reliance and reliance on him, then it will lead to prayer. And the more you rely, the more you'll glorify. The more you rely, the more you'll glorify. The less you rely on God, the less you will glorify God. And that doesn't change. It's not like you get more spiritually mature and after four decades, you don't have to rely on God. No, the more you know God, the more you rely on God. The more you rely on God, you pray and rely on the Holy Spirit. And the more you rely on the Holy Spirit, the more you glorify God. And this will never change. This is the scripture. And so again, we, we recalibrate and align with God. Say, well, what kind of excuses are there in prayer? Some people say, I'm too busy. I can't pray. I'm too busy. I don't think it's actually a time thing. I think it's a priorities thing. Uh, well, some people say, I'm not good at prayer. We're all growing. We're all learning with prayer. And the good news is the Holy Spirit helps us when we pray. The Holy Spirit helps us. And we're praying to a God who has a throne of grace. Some people say, I'm scared with other people to pray out loud. And I would just say it's time to move past those fears because we don't live in timidity and fear, but power and love. And it's time to move past some fears because biblically, people are praying together. That's healthy in God. You pray alone, you pray together. So let's move past some fears when it comes to prayer. Uh, Nothing's happened yet. I've been praying for a long time. Well, the Bible says don't give up. Keep praying, seeking, knocking, asking. Keep going. Trust God with the results and the timing. And it's about cultivating habits. That's why revivinghope.com, it's set up there. Spend time in prayer. Spend time fasting, uh, forgiving people, gratitude, right? There's so many habits in our, in our spiritual walk with God that we need to start to cultivate because they're going to bear so much fruit. So get rid of faith distractions and get rid of excuses. Let's grow together. In the last one, surround yourself with inspiring people who help you learn and grow. Take a look at Acts chapter 16 because we look here and we see Timothy and part of his story. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was was Jewish and a believer but whose father was a Greek. Now, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. Daily people come to know Jesus. Daily churches are growing. We want all the churches in Auburn to grow, all the churches in the sound that love Jesus to continue to grow. And what happened? Uh, We saw that there was this man named Timothy, and he had, first of all, his mother, and then also his grandmother. Now, dad was probably an unbeliever. Dad was Greek. Mom was uh, Jewish, and she was a believer. 
And so we have uh, mom, Eunice, grandma, Lois, and they poured into Timothy. And so Timothy chose God, he chose Jesus, and there was a little bit of tension in the home. I wanna encourage you, if your family doesn't all love Jesus, do what you've been called to do in the middle of the unbelief. Because maybe dad wasn't fully on board, we don't know, maybe an unbeliever, but mom and grandma are gonna keep praying, keep discipling. If you have grandkids and mom and dad aren't bringing them to church, you can offer to bring them to church. When they come over to your house to have a meal, you can share some Bible, you can share your story. You see, continue to be faithful. It starts in your home. Lois and Eunice, it starts in your home. You spend the most time at home, not church. Church is secondary, I love church, but it's secondary. What's happening in your your home. That's primary. And so focus there, build up people spiritually at home. And then you say, what's his circumcision? Well, he wasn't circumcised. His dad's Greek, but he became circumcised. I'd say that's part of the cost of this call. Why? Because he's going to have a greater impact. He's reaching Jewish people and it was a barrier to sharing the gospel with them. So he's circumcised and it doesn't mean he's gonna change his beliefs, but he's gonna remove some barriers in the ministry by being circumcised. When you're trying to reach people, don't ever water down the Bible or your beliefs, but you can shift some minor things in your life to reach them more effectively, and that's the story here with the circumcision. And what I like about this is that Timothy is growing in his faith, and Paul's looking for someone to go with him on this journey. Second journey, third journey, he's gonna choose Timothy because Timothy is growing, he's teachable, he's available. My point here is that as you grow, you don't even know what it's attached to. You don't even know what opportunity God is lining up, but because you've been faithful behind the scenes and you're growing, God knows you're the one, God knows you're ready. Does God look past some people whose hearts are not devoted to him? Yes, he searches to and fro across the land to strongly support those whose hearts are committed to him. And you might think, well, it hasn't come yet. The door hasn't opened. You stay faithful behind the scenes and watch what God will open. God's preparing you. God was preparing Timothy for this journey. There are doors opening right now with outreach and World Cup that I can't even imagine this year. But, but I just am ready to share the gospel. I'm ready to reach people. And so some exciting doors are open up. Uh, discipleship is really at the heart of empowerment. We've got a great class here. David Chung has a great class on discipleship. And if you haven't taken that and want to, just write that down on your welcome card or type it in if you're online. You're interested in the discipleship class. We have life groups. It's the best place for discipleship at our church. If you're not part of that, I encourage you. You know, here's the story. Lori and I, we've, been, uh, we've had a life group last six years. And every life group's been amazing and connecting together. After two years, we sent out some couples to go lead a group. After two years, what ha after four years, we sent out again some couples and they are leading a group now. Why? Because there's more people wanting to get in life groups. So we need more leaders. This year, uh, again, we sent out two couples and now they're leading a group. And then someone else from our group sent out to lead a young adults life group. Someone else from our group works at a college is gonna lead a Bible study at the college. Why? Because it's about empowerment. You say, wouldn't it be easier to just sit together for six years? Well, yeah, we'd have an awesome time. Are there some tears shed and some sadness when things shift? There sure are. 
But when I read the Bible, it's not about just sitting there being comfortable. When I read the Bible, it's about discipleship and empowerment and raising up leaders and more people that get into groups and they're raising up leaders. And when I see that multiplication, I think, wow, so often we're not doing that. We're just sitting still. And I want to be part of the movement and the multiplication and the raising up of leaders. I'm excited when there's people in our church like Liz who are part-time worship leader and now she's full-time worship director. Like this should be an environment where people are getting raised up to do God's work here and where we live, work, learn, or play in the sound. So that's what God's doing in Scripture. That's what we're all about, and it's the flame. Blazing or putting it out. A flame has heat, which means love. There should be so much love in the flame. A flame has light, which means truth, God's word. A flame has purity. It burns off a bunch of junk. So fan the flame, keep it at full flame, and consistently on fire for God. That's what God's calling us to do. Uh, let's pray as we think about these decisions. Father God, thank you for this time together. Father, we've seen a baptism today. I pray for anyone in the room who's ready to be baptized that they would say yes to that. God, I pray as we've been celebrating more people coming to know you here at Grace. I pray for anyone in the room who doesn't know you to make a first time decision to follow you as Savior and Lord right now. God, I pray even right now as we listen that you would confirm callings, you would raise up leaders, God, whether it's life group, at the workplace, God, I pray our gifts would come alive. We would fan the flame. We would cultivate the habits. And thank you, God, how you empower us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. We pray in your name. Amen.